VFBS with Kate Jabot. So it's decided Donald Trump will be the next president of the United States. What will America's new commander-in-chief bring to the world stage? We will get along with all other nations willing to get along with us. He says he wants great relationships, but what will that mean for Britain, NATO, Russia and the rest of the world? It's the decision that the world has been waiting for and it's finally been made. Donald Trump is president-elect of the United States of America. The vote sent shockwaves across the world. Our reporter, James Hurst, watched events unfold at the US Embassy in London. Under the gaze of a giant tapestry of Barack Obama, the lobby of the US Embassy was decked out in red, white and blue lights and balloons. Wine and beer were flowing, a DJ was playing. This was a party, all right. Although guests were not sure whether they were actually there to celebrate. This is an unbelievable election for the American people. And I'm nail-biting nervous about whether Hillary will win or not. So obviously you're rooting for Donald Trump tonight. How are you, how are you I feeling? Voted, I voted for him. You know, I feel the same way I felt this morning, which is he probably has a one-in-four chance of winning. And that's not terrible, it's not wonderful, but, you know. Among the 1,500 party-goers, politicians like London Mayor Sadiq Khan, journalists from around the world, and a scattering of celebrities. Jimmy Carr, why are you here? I'm here because I know Matthew Barzan, who's the American ambassador, he's a very good friend of mine. So, the election, who are you rooting for? Well, as a comedian, obviously, Trump. As a comedian, it would make my life easier if Donald Trump gets in. It's the, I think it's, it, there's a sense in which Trump has won already because he's divided America. Host for the night, the US ambassador to London, Matthew Barzan, on a mission to reassure guests that despite a bitter and divisive election campaign, the US-UK special relationship is unshakable and unbreakable. It's a bit like American football. Right. It's contentious. It may be slightly baffling to people who aren't familiar with it. Bang, 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 bang. And then the game's over and we move forward together. And knowing your audience, I mean, our shared history together is so unbelievably powerful. I think we need to make sure that we don't look backwards. What I think, what I've tried to focus on, I hope whoever comes after me, she or he, will focus on the next 70 years. The bar thinned out as the night went on. A big screen auditorium showing rolling news stayed packed into the small hours. At 4.30 a.m., Florida was called for Trump. It wasn't definitive victory, but it seemed to be all over bar the shouting. And Clinton supporters like Texas musician Josh T. Pearson were left looking devastated. The whole thing is heartbreaking. Uh, heartbreaking. I, I mean, CNN may just be leading us on to keep watching, but it's, it's a heartbreaking situation to see America this polarized at all. I mean, it, uh, I love America. It's, it really is the greatest country on earth. The tone of Trump backers was measured. Melissa Sandstrom is from Republicans overseas. I mean, many were worried about Brexit, and Brexit came to be, and there was a lot of uncertainty, and you're seeing, you saw that in the markets. They're reacting to uncertainty. I think the issue with Trump may not be Trump right now. It might be uncertainty about what's happening next. I think once he 
lays out his plan, his cabinet, um, shows us who he's going to for help in setting up his administration. I think a lot of that uncertainty will you know, subside and the markets might recover from that. So I don't think you know, one man in one election year, one branch of government um, is going to, to end everything the way that people seem to be feeling. As we headed out towards the dark and pouring rain, there had not yet been a victory speech or concession. But the momentum towards a huge political upset now seemed unstoppable. That was James Hurst reporting from the US Embassy on the night. Well, listening to that with me is Dr. Karen van Hippel, the Director General of the Royal United Services Institute, who worked in the State Department for six years. Uh, she's also a former Chief of Staff to General John Allen. Mike Evans, former Pentagon correspondent for The Times and Christopher Lee, BFBS Defence Analyst. Hello to all of you. Um, Mike, if I can come to you first. Uh, yesterday, you tweeted, words fail me, I feel for the American people. How do you feel today? I think I tweeted that at uh, five o'clock in the morning. Mm. Uh, so it was probably the worst time to do a tweet. But on the other hand, I don't think I've changed my mind at all. I think the American people uh, are going through a, a, a pretty tricky period. They are a period of fear, if you like. There's a large batch of Americans who are absolutely delighted with the Trump uh, result because it's going to benefit them. But there's also pretty well the other half of the American people uh, want America to be great, but to have a great reputation. And they fear that this campaign and the election of President Trump will destroy the reputation of America. Mm. Now, that may well not be the case in the end. Let's hope not. But I, I fear for them and feel for them because uh, I know that they are very patriotic people. Uh, they love America, but they also uh, feel very strongly that America should have friendly relations around the world. And they're I think they are afraid that this is all going to change. Well, Dr. Karen von Hippel, you were at the embassy on the night, weren't you? Yeah, I was there. So, tell me more. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm concerned as well, and I heard uh, the previous speaker talk about uncertainty. I think that's one of the, the bigger issues going forward. For me, he, he, during the campaign, his views on women, on Muslims, on immigrants, there's so many... Uh, there were so many negative things that came out of him during the campaign, and it may be that he does soften during uh, his his period as president, but it just concerns a lot of people of what kind of person he is, uh, you know, at, at, at base. And so what kind of leader will he be if that's how he feels about uh, large percentages of, of the world, really? It's not just Americans, it's the world. I mean, you know, one in four uh, people on uh, on this planet are Muslim. And so, you know, he's going to have to really change the way he, he acts. Now, we all know he likes to win and he's very competitive. And it could be he just pulled out all the stops to win and he may change his stripes once he's in power. But it's not a great way to start, in my view. And Christopher Lee, your, your reaction? I'm not so gloomy. Um, I think I would prefer America to have a president who sort of almost does nothing. You know, to be like to be quietly governed, but a friend of mine this morning is what he was quoting. He's an American, um, and he said, "Here we have a billionaire, multi-bankrupt, liar, misogynist, no experience of office, lawyer, becomes the most powerful person on earth," and that is right. And we talked to Barden, and we were talking about something that happened a couple of months ago, two or three months ago, when he was he was in Washington. He was talking to the group that that was sort of if you like, steering Trump. And one of them had come back from London. And he said, the thing to do 
is at the end of every speech, you say, you say, make America great again. Because the people you're aiming at are the individuals who don't feel great again, who, was, who will not get it, make America as a, as a vision great again, but you'll, you'll make me mm. sort of great again. Uh, that's me as the individual. But the truth is, the truth is we are now in the age of disintegration, aren't we, with so much with it, that's authority, etc. And nobody has quite, quite worked out how you democratically change things without causing something like this. But I am certainly not as glum as I probably should be. Mm. Mike Evans, uh, Karen was saying there that uh, the kind of things that he was saying during his election campaign are worrying if they are put into action. How many of those kind of things, those provocative things he said, do you think will actually become reality? Well, you have to remember that a lot of the things he said, particularly in the early part of the campaign, he then rode back on quite, quite a lot. I can think of quite a number of things. Um, he talked about he thinks uh, South Korea and Japan should develop their own nuclear weapons because he's fed up with America having to protect them. He's going to build a wall uh, along the border with Mexico, etc. Um, but, you know, he, he has made this long list of things he wants to do, and I'm sure that he will do as many of them as possible. He's already rode back quite considerably on this, the Asia uh, threat because he's apparently phoned the South Korean... Uh, president and said, don't worry, chaps, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so uh, I, I still think that, that one of the most important things about Trump is that he goes on about wanting America to be great again. But I think first and foremost, he wants to be a great president. And uh, to do that, he's got to make a huge impact in a relatively short time. Let's say he only does four years, he doesn't get his eight he, he's got four years to, to make mm. a huge difference. That's what he wants to do, principally for America, not, I think, necessarily for the outside world. Yeah, I seem to remember in his acceptance speech he was saying something, I hope you'll be proud of me, and I thought that was an unusual thing for him yeah. to say. He, he wants to go down as being a great president. He, he will no doubt look back at uh, Ronnie Reagan and think this guy came in as a bit of a sort of maverick, if you like, and he ended up being probably one of the most popular presidents in the history of America. He would like to do that, but he would like to do it having achieved a great amount. I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the thing that makes us all fear is what he may do externally and not inside America. So has America got used to the reality of President Trump yet? Well, Simon Marks from Feature Story News is in Washington. He's been covering the story for us regularly on SITREP. Uh, good to speak to you today, Simon. I seem to remember you saying something about eating your hat if Trump <laughs> became president. Yes, I've got to go through my closet and find it, and then I'll have to season it, and uh, perhaps we can have a, a, a public digesting <laughs> of it. But I'm happy to, to be, much as I'm unhappy not to have seen this coming, I'm happy to uh, be in uh, a, a large group of people who didn't see this thunderbolt coming. I mean, this... Donald Trump, as you know, Kate, has completely rewritten the political rule book and confounded uh, the Washington punditocracy at every single stage, from the moment he entered the campaign till the moment he won the presidency. It is a thunderbolt. It's like a meteor landing right in front of the West Wing of the White House. Mm. What's been the reaction from veterans and the military community? Well, look, I mean, the military community was a pillar of support in large measure for Donald Trump. It's obviously not a monolithic vote. But, you know, I was walking uh, to the White House yesterday for a uh, TV uh, broadcast and walked past some uh, veterans uh, who were on the street uh, carrying signs 
Uh, and as we walked past them, they all said, finally, we're going to have a president who's going to do something for the veterans. I mean, you know, that was a central pillar of his campaign, improving the Veterans Administration, making sure that wounded warriors, when they return to the United States, get the kind of care and attention that they need when they need it. It's going to be a gargantuan task to deliver on that promise. But veterans and their families, uh, in large measure, voted for Donald Trump because they want to see those changes occur. Mm. Can you just explain some of the mechanics to us, Simon? How much power does he have? How how do the numbers stack up in the all-important Congress? Well, look, he's going to have an enormous amount of power because of the situation in Congress. We are still waiting for the outcome of some final Senate seats where votes are still being counted. But it's absolutely clear that the Republicans will enjoy majorities in both the U.S. Senate and the House of Representatives with Donald Trump at the White House. Now, he's had tortuous relationships with Republicans on Capitol Hill, including Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, the most powerful elected Republican in Washington until uh, January the 20th, when Donald Trump trumps him. They're going to have to work those differences out. But, you know, Donald Trump at this point uh, owns those Republicans on Capitol Hill lock, stock and barrel Mm. because it's absolutely apparent that many of them got re-elected on his coattails. Now, unlike in Britain, the Defence Secretary, the Secretary of State and the National Security Advisor are all unelected posts. Um, Let's talk about the process, who he's likely to appoint. Karen von Hippel from the Royal United Service Institute. Who do you think are going to get those kind of roles? Yeah, there have been some names floating around. Some of them are in my view, scarier than others. Uh, Newt Gingrich is on the scary end of the spectrum as as potential Secretary of State or uh, Senator Bob Corker as a Secretary of State. And Corker would be a great choice. And Mm. he's a measured man and he's very sophisticated and he's very good on foreign policy. So it really does depend. Um, There are other names like Bolton and Mike Flynn and Rudy Giuliani and Chris Christie. And, you know, so some of the people who are loyal to him, he he cares about loyalty a lot. He certainly won't appoint anyone who is critical of him. But what I think will happen is he's not very good uh, at dealing with criticism. And I don't think he's very good when people speak truth to power. So I suspect you will see a lot of shuffling, just like we saw in the campaign. Do you remember he had three different campaign managers within a very short period of time? So, you know, I I think we'll see a lot of people coming and going. Mike Evans, who do you think is in line? Uh, Well, as yes, I think there are a number of names that are coming up. Um, I would sincerely hope that Newt Gingrich is uh, not going to be appointed Secretary of State. Um, I agree also that Bob Corker, he is the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations so basically committee, so he's very much like John Kerry, who was also the chairman, so I think he, uh, he'll be a very good choice. Uh, Defence Secretary is quite tricky. Um, again, a few names. Uh, Senator Jeff Sessions, I think, would be uh, quite good because he's uh, on the Senate Armed Services Committee and uh, Trump loves him. Mm. Um, and there are a few other names. People have mentioned uh, General Mike Flynn, but yes. General Mike Flynn retired from the army in 2014, and under the normal American rules, you can't uh, apply for or get another appointment in within government within seven years. So he is basically uh, not uh, excluded, I think, unless Congress waives it, which which they could do. Mm. Christopher. Good, good, good Mike Flynn, uh, not... Uh, get an appointment uh, in some security role. 
uh, yes, rather, he, than, rather than just being a, a Secretary of State. Yes, he could. And, and I, whatever happens, he will be there in an advisory capacity, I'm sure. But he couldn't head one of the great... Uh, one of the great. Uh, he, he was saying before departments. the election that they, they would be seeking a new set of allies for the 21st century. Simon Marks. Uh, yes, I mean, he has thrown all sorts of uh, seeds of doubt into established treaty relationships that the United States has around the world, particularly in the Asia Pacific region. He's argued that uh, countries that uh, live under the umbrella of NATO's protection need to contribute more to NATO or he's going to uh, redefine all of those roles. I mean, uh, the overriding question that everyone is asking here is how much of the stuff that he said on the campaign trail does he actually believe and is he actually going to enact? He is an enormous question mark in that regard. And as far as appointments are concerned, you know, he doesn't have a wide bench of top-notch supporters. Uh, so again, this is going to become a huge guessing game in the U.S. Capitol, given that he has so few prominent supporters that he now needs to reward with top-flight jobs. He could go anywhere to fill a whole raft of different positions. Simon Marks from Feature Story News in Washington. Thank you for your time today. This is BFBS Sigrep. You're listening to a special programme on SITREP, uh, reflecting on the news this week that Donald Trump will be the next American president. I'm joined today with Dr. Karen von Hippel, the Director General of the Royal United Services Institute, who's worked uh, at the State Department for six years. Mike Evans, former Pentagon correspondent for The Times, and Christopher Lee, our BFBS defence analyst. So, uh, Donald Trump will be the first US president with no government or military experience. So what sort of president will he be and what sort of country will he lead? Um, Karen, what do you think? I think Simon was right that uh, we, you know, once you get into power and once you learn about a lot of the challenges, so whether it's uh, about NATO and, and who pays what for NATO or uh, the, the policy towards ISIL, I think once he learns some of the challenges, he may change his mind on things. I think he's very good at spin, so he can act like, you know, even though, well, we're doing extreme vetting of, of, of immigrants. Well, the U.S. already does pretty extreme vetting of immigrants, so he can act like he changed You'd hope things. it did, wouldn't you? Yeah, he can act like he's changed things when nothing has actually happened. So I suspect there's going to be a lot of that. Um, but the, the concern I have is that from everything I hear about him, he has a very short attention span. And so if you try to explain to him why it's so complicated to go and retake Raqqa with the Kurds, with the Turks, with the Russians, with all these different moving pieces. I think he would get bored in about a millisecond. And then what do you do? Because a lot of these challenges are really complicated. Mm. Christopher Lee, um, in his election manifesto in particular, he had plans to expand the military. He said the army will get 540,000 extra soldiers. He'll build up the Navy towards a goal of 350 ships. And he said he'll provide the U.S. Air Force with 1,200 fighter aircraft. Achievable? Well, I mean, let's look at the practical side of that. If you want to build yourself a, uh, or do anything to your Navy, it takes between five and ten years to actually go from drawing board to actually getting the thing launched and in service. I mean, you're not going to rush and say in the first hundred days where the 350,000, uh, 350 ships and the, and, the, and, and the extra soldiers. Let's just put this in huge perspective, really. Um, at the moment, the system is one of sneering. NATO, you know, they're no good. The army uh, performance in, let's say, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, no good, etc. 
that's fine. But in practice, it is better to leave it alone because he's going to have all sorts of things that he's got to do. For example, the wall, the Great Wall uh, of Mexico. I mean, he can put up a bit of chain fencing or whatever, but he's got to be seen to be making a start of it. Those things are going to be important. But in terms of when he, 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 he sets around the whole concept of foreign relations and says, I've got to get me, for example, some new allies... Uh, his uh, his style at the moment says, I don't need actually any new allies. I actually don't need any allies. And for the sort of thing they will do in the next sort of six months, he doesn't need any allies. If you look at the biggest organisation, for example, World Trade, he doesn't need any new allies in that. He's got to be thinking in different terms entirely. We're going to sort of get tough with China or go along to the president of Apple Mm. Corp and say, no, you can't do that. Look at NATO. NATO is just waiting to see what happens. They're not going to to change their, 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 their loyalties to it. So I think we can exaggerate the calamities that are on the desk of the president-elect. What, what do you think he will do, uh, Mike Evans, about NATO? You know, obviously during his campaign he was saying that members need to start paying their way or they may not be able to rely on American support should they need it. I mean, do you think he will change his stance on that? Um, I mean, the only interesting thing is that, of course, that presidents and secretaries of defence and, and the state have said this for years and years and years and years and years, that America's... Uh, got too much of the burden, 75 And they've been frustrated 75%. about it for years. I remember Bob Gates when he came mm. in. I mean, he just got so angry and frustrated at how NATO wasn't doing it. They've been saying it's in the 1940s when they said we're going to start NATO. And but the do Americans you think they did? But it. will Trump do it? I think Trump, the thing about Trump is that he looks at things in simplistic terms. Now, uh, Christopher was talking about the, the, the complexities of things and that he will, he's got a short, uh, you know, memory stamp or whatever it is. But the point is he looks at things simply and he will say uh, NATO uh, is a good organisation. There's no question that he will stick with it. They should spend more. Uh, and I think he will lay down uh, some ultimatums. I have no doubt about it at all that he mm. will get his Secretary of State or his Defence Secretary to lay down ultimatums. This is what we want within the next, let's say, two years. Mm. And that's what he will be after. Well, before we talk a little bit more about uh, Donald Trump's future foreign policy, let's hear what he said himself during his acceptance speech. We will get along with all other nations willing to get along with us. We will be. We'll have great relationships. We expect to have great, great relationships. Dr. Karen von Hippel, you mentioned earlier that he has, what you're concerned about is his, his short attention span. How do you think that's going to affect foreign policy? It's hard to say. I mean, one thing Christopher was talking about, about doing things, uh, you know, on his own, it, you saw that a lot during the campaign. You heard him say, I alone can fix it. You saw him on the stage with nobody supporting him besides his family. He has very few friends. Uh, and he doesn't he doesn't seem to work well in groups as well. And this is a really tough job. Uh, you know, I don't think he's used to working these hours. I mean, you know, President Obama goes back in after dinner with his family and spends three or four hours reading up for the next day. So I, I'm concerned about his, his attention span and his work ethic at this stage of his life because he hasn't had to work that hard. He's overly reliant on his family for advice, which is concerning because they don't have any real experience either. And he makes a lot of large promises with very little backing it up. And so it's very hard for all of us to tell what any of it will mean once he's in office. Christopher you Lee. Just, hang on, you just, you just imagine. So he gets into office and... The guy comes in and says, Mr. President, this has happened. Uh, what are we going to say on this? 
And then about 20 minutes later, the other guy comes in and says, Mr. President, this is happening in the Middle East at the moment. Uh, what's our line on this? Uh, well, we'll bring a load of people in who will tell you what our line is supposed to be. And this is going to be happening 24 hours a day. That's what happens when you get the job. And the, the, the Trump that we imagine, as Karen says, is the fellow that stands up alone, makes it on the hoof, or whatever it is. But the actual job has probably got the personality and the pressures that are likely to tame, not necessarily tame, but likely to cool down uh, our vision of Trump as we see him at the moment. Mm. Uh, Mike Evans, do you think there are any, going to be any major changes or new ideas, for example, on Syria? Well, well, first of all, I'd like to say that although I am depressed about the whole thing, I still think that Trump is the sort of character who's been around a long time. He's made billions and billions. He's a, he's a if you like, a top-notch businessman. He knows how to make decisions, not in foreign policy, but he knows how to make decisions. I don't think he's going to be a ditherer. I think mm. he'll be very strong. He may make the wrong decisions. But I don't think he's going to, uh, you know, he's, he'll get all the options like every president does, and he will make a choice. And I think on Syria, for example, if, if say, the military, his new uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs comes in and says, Mr. President, we've got three options with Syria, one, two, and three, uh, Obama always went for the middle option, always. didn't matter what it was, he went for the middle option. The, 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 the option that nobody wants is the option that nobody wants, so that's the, the third option. The first option is the one which instinctively Mr Trump will go for. And why? Because he will say, let's teach these guys a lesson. That's, that's he's going to be sort of so his catchphrase. So what, what will his teaching them a lesson be? Syria is is actually more complicated. I think Syria, he's going to be very happy for Russia to do its worst in mm. Syria. Why send American troops? Why, why have a no-fly zone over Syria when it means it's going to come up against Russia? Yeah. And then you have an even more complicated world. He says, Syria, OK, important. Russia wants to be involved. Let them get involved. Let them sort out ISIS for us in Syria. What are we doing pussyfooting around in Syria with 300 special forces troops up in the north? Let's rush, let Russia deal with it. And then uh, I'll deal with Putin and uh, we'll get along fine. Mm. And why not leave Assad there, he'll say. You know, what, what, what's in it for us? Oh, absolutely. I mean, to be honest, uh, the, the whole policy, Obama policy in Syria has been ridiculous, really, because he started off by saying uh, we've got to get rid of Assad. Assad's got to go, whatever happens. Mm. Then ISIS, of course, played a, a completely different role. And then he forgot and about ISIS, Assad. And comes in and says, Mr. President, though, the Saudis, they don't like this. Karen, and that's when you get into Karen von Hippel, uh, how do you think the so-called special relationship, I know, overused expression, is going to develop uh, with Trump? Yeah, I think these relationships will be very important. I mean, I think Theresa May has done a very good job by staying out of the fray. She hasn't made any comments about him. She's Didn't, been quite warm, though, in well, looking forward yeah, to working with him. You know, whereas Boris, as we know, made some comments about him earlier on. So I think that the role of the UK, of France, of, of, of some good, strong Western allies are, is going to be even more important because people need to educate him about what's going on. I mean, I, you know, I think uh, Mike's point about uh, making decisions is a good one. Obama frustrated many of us because he just actually, he didn't choose the, the middle option. He didn't choose any option. He just wouldn't make a decision. And so we spent hours and days, you know, throwing things back into the system, trying to get some decisions on Syria, on Ukraine, on, on a number of issues. Now, not deciding is also a decision, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it just, he didn't want to 
create another Iraq war. He had his reasons for doing things, but he did not make decisions. And I agree that Trump will make decisions. Uh, Bush made decisions. They're not always the right ones, though, and that's a concern. Uh, Mike Evans, uh, finally, we'll, we'll take a look around the world at some of the hot spots and, and where the new president might face problems and who he might be able to rely on. Um, Mike, what do you think? Uh, well, I, I would put China at the top, probably, because he, he has a thing about China. He thinks China is uh, making uh, America bankrupt, so he wants to sort out China. He wants to take a very tough stand with China, particularly on trade. North Korea, who knows what Kim Jong-un will do, but he may think he's got a window of opportunity to do something, or he may think it's too dangerous to do anything. I don't know which way it's going to go. Russia, Putin, the alliance with Putin, relationship with Putin. Well, Obama said, let's have a reset with the Russians way back, years back. Uh, and now it's all gone to pot. So mm. I think he will have strong relations with Putin. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, uh, particularly if it means something being sorted out in Syria. OK, uh, Middle East, there's nothing much he can do or would be willing to do. So forget the Middle East, he'll say. China, yes, I agree with uh, Mike. He'll have, a, he'll have a go there, but he's not going to go as far as he said he would, like sort of you know, getting into a row with China financially because 68% of American uh, debts are owned by China. Putin... Let's see how he gets on. He's doing all the things. Mm. But his biggest, biggest, biggest concern, as ever, will be what's going on at home, will and be the economy and how the people who voted for him uh, get on. And very briefly, Karen von Hibble, your thoughts? Well, Karen's obviously gone away to think about her thoughts. Um, so looking forward, uh, what we're going to see over the next, well, come January, what do you think the first kind of signs we're going to see are, Mike, briefly? I think what Christopher said is true, that it will be domestic, it will be, everything will be internal. But there are certain things which he has really put a marker on, and one of them is Iran. What is he going to do about the nuclear agreement with Iran? Key, key issue. And we will come back to that. And this is all we have time for this week. My thanks to all of our guests. Do let us know what you think. Tweet us at BFBS SITREP. No SITREP next week. Instead, you can hear Christopher and I discuss the Armed Forces Covenant in a special live programme after the news at one. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye for now. The best of British news, sport and entertainment for the British forces overseas. This is BFBS Radio 2. Radio 2.